Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to speak to you about the blessings that you receive from God and how important they are. They're not just important because they bless you, but, but because they enable you to be a blessing and to bless other people. The more you personally experience God's blessings, the more you can bless other people. And as your experience grows in the life of faith, your experience with God, not just knowing about him, but walking with him, your power to bless other people will also grow. And not only your power to bless, but your range of blessings. You'll be able to bless and have a positive impact on more people in more circumstances than you could imagine. Yeshua has called us to proclaim good news to people all over the world. You know what that implies? People are in trouble. They've got bad news. They've got plenty of bad news. How many of you are aware there is an oversupply of bad news? And an undersupply of good news. The Lord is looking for people who will share the good news with the world around them. And so you'll be able to speak to people. You'll be able to serve people. You'll be able to minister to people. You'll be able to help people. You'll be able to comfort people in a broader range of circumstances and difficulties if you've experienced more blessings from God. You will learn that God wants to use you to be a blessing, just like he said to Abraham. So if you're sitting next to someone who you like, smile at them and tell them you're a blessing. You are a blessing. But then tell them it's not enough. Be a blessing, be more. You know, you wanna be content on one hand and on the other hand, you wanna aim for more. How many of you wanna keep growing? It's important to keep growing because if you stop growing, you die, that's right, because you're living beings. Sandy and I were in the indoor and outdoor plant business for many years, and people would ask this very strange question. This was 40-some years ago when indoor plants were exotic, and, you know, bless their hearts, they'd ask this kind of crazy question. They'd say, is this hard to kill about a certain plant? And in my mind, being a sarcastic person, I thought, no, it's really easy to kill. You just turn the oven on, put that plant right in there, it's gone. But what they really meant was, is this, this was a southernism I hadn't heard almost anywhere else. Is this easy to live? And what they meant was, is it easy to care for? Can I, who, do, who, who doesn't really know much about uh, how to, how to take care of complicated plants. Can I take care of this plant? That was their question. Is this an easy one? And so we tried to have as many easy plants as possible. That was a good idea, right? 
Because people know this. If it's not living and growing, it's dying and it's going to be gone. In the same way for us, we are alive. I can look at each one of you and I can tell you are alive. And that's good. But you want to keep growing, right? You want to grow in, in maturity. You want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. You want to grow in your usefulness to God to spread the good news and to have an impact on other people. When you decide to be a blessing, and that becomes one of the greatest motivators in your life, you'll be moving in your true identity and your true nature as a disciple of Yeshua and a servant of the Lord. And that's why God's word to Abraham followed a very specific order. God said in Genesis 12, I will bless you. So who takes the initiative in the blessing? The Lord. But then he tells Abraham, you be a blessing to others. And many translations of Genesis 12 just use a future tense, uh, you will be a blessing, and that's not really capturing what the Lord says. Some use uh, the old imperative, you shall be a blessing, but many Americans don't remember that, and they think shall just means future tense. How am I doing, teachers? English teachers, okay? But actually in the Hebrew, this is in the imperative. It's a commanding form, and so God is saying, be a blessing. I will bless you. You be a blessing. This helps us remember it's God who gives us the power and the authority. It's not based on ourselves. It's, it's based in him. When you are made into a new creation through your faith in Messiah Yeshua and your faithfulness to him, you will have many new opportunities to bless people. And this week's Torah portion describes the very last days of the patriarch Jacob and how he recalls the blessings of God. And then Jacob blesses Joseph, Joseph's sons from Egypt and the rest of Jacob's sons. So let's focus on Jacob's blessing of Joseph and uh, Joseph's two Egyptian sons. You can turn to Genesis chapter 48. That's where we're going to start. Wonderful passage about the last days. You find out a lot about someone when you're with them when the end is coming. You find out what's really in their heart, what they hold dear, and the impact that they can have on people. Some people turn inward and they just count their death as a loss, and they are full of regrets for the life that they've lived, but people of faith, even when we're suffering, I have found, can, can rally and remember the great things that God has done for them and speak words of blessing, encouragement to their surviving family that will have a positive impact all the days of their family's life. And when they do that, they become what we in the Jewish world say of blessed memory. When we're speaking of those who have passed from our family, we say of blessed memory because we're blessed when we think about them. And so in Genesis chapter 48, starting in verse three, 
Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, El Shaddai, appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me, and he said to me. Now, just starting with those words is, is really powerful. Jacob is saying this, I experienced God as El Shaddai, God Almighty, the one who has overflowing blessings. And he appeared to me. In, in the earlier account, it says that God appeared in a dream. But what's interesting is, even though it was a dream, God made himself visible to Jacob. And Jacob could see him. This goes against some modernistic alternative rabbinic theory about the nature of God, which has, I think, been co-opted by Islamic theory about the nature of God that says that God is invisible, unknowable, and far beyond the universe that we live in. But the Torah says the God who is far beyond comes down and he appears, and he walked with Adam, and he appeared and ate with Abraham. And so this revelation of the God of Israel is different than the revelation that other people are promoting about God. And one of the hallmarks, I believe, of Torah is it, it says what it's trying to say loud and clear and over and over again. And so Jacob says, the Lord appeared to me. And if we understand this based on the Hebrew, the Lord made himself visible to me. Do you see how radical that is? That goes against the idea that God just exists in a spiritual supernatural plane outside of our time-space universe. He appeared to me at a certain place. That's very important. Rather than the omnipresent God, you know, who's everywhere, which God is always, but the God who can be everywhere can also be somewhere. That's very important. It's also necessary if you understand that he wants to pour his Holy Spirit out on all flesh and blood, and he wants to fill every person who follows him with himself, the Holy Spirit. So in order for God to be in you, 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 in me, in all of us, he has to be able to be in more than one place at a time. And yet he has to be able to be in one place at a time. And he can do it. He does it. That's what we can derive from this. And there, Jacob says, he blessed me. And he said to me, now this is radical. Not only does God appear, he makes himself visible. He also speaks. He says something to Jacob. He speaks to Jacob. And the word that God gave to Jacob went into Jacob and it changed him. So let's keep reading. And the Lord said, Behold, I will make you fruitful, and I will multiply you. I will make of you a multitude, a kahal, a congregation of people. That's very interesting. God's promise is to make a congregation. 
out of all of the people who are descended uh, through the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. One more radical idea. Who does the giving? The United Nations. But they did agree, they did agree at some point, right? Who did the giving? England with, you know, the Balfour Declaration. Well, they agreed, right? You know, it turns out that even the guy who gave the burial place for Abraham, for Isaac and Jacob, didn't give it, he sold it. And to this day, it's still there. And guess what? They're still there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives. Let's read the scripture again. I want to make sure I get it right. Who's doing the talking in this scripture? Who's the speaker? It's the Lord. So when he says, I give this land, who's, who's giving the land? The Lord is giving the land. Well, how dare he? I don't think everyone agrees with this idea that God can give land to people. But Torah says he can. And you know what? It turns out God doesn't actually ask for human permission on this one. Isn't that interesting? And while it is true that Israel sometimes is in the land and sometimes not in the land, sometimes for obedience issues, sometimes for preservation issues, even so, God says, I give you the land permanently. I give you the land. That's it. So, without consulting other nations, God believes that he has the sovereign right to give land to any nation he chooses. And so the question is, can we accept that he takes that position? That's a good question. In fact, nations have been raging over that issue for a long time. And, you know, if, if, if you follow the news, you might think, oh, it's just, you know, if Israel would just be nicer. You know, because, you know, those stiff-necked Jews, you know. I say that as a Jew. As if Israel is the problem. I mean, the real problem is God decided to give Israel the land. Not everyone agrees with it. That could all be solved if all the nations of the world would say, I'll use the phrase that we as kids used to when our big brothers were like pinning us on the ground when we were wrestling. You know what you say? Uncle. How many of you remember the uncle? Say uncle. I remember, I thrashed my hand. I'm not, I'm not gonna say uncle until I just said uncle. Nowadays, you tap out, you know, <laughs> when you want to surrender. If the nations of the world would just say uncle to the Lord <laughs> and say, you know what, Lord, maybe you have the right we bow down to you. Can you imagine how things could 
be different right now. Radical ideas, right? This is what Jacob is speaking to Joseph. Now let's, let's continue in verse 14. We're gonna skip over some great details, but for the sake of focus, I want you to read those on your own. In verse 14, it says, Israel put out his right hand and he laid it on the head of the younger one, Ephraim. And he put his left hand on the head of Manasseh. He intentionally crossed his hands. So he did it like that. And he used the right hand to touch the one who was younger and his left hand, my grandchildren years ago would call this crisscross applesauce. I, I think you do that with the legs too. But Israel crossed his hands intentionally. And then he blessed Joseph. This is interesting. He lays hands on Joseph's sons, but he blesses Joseph. And he says this, the God in whose presence my fathers Abraham and Isaac lived, the God who has been my own shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has rescued me from all harm, bless these boys. This is powerful here. Where it says, the God in whose presence my fathers lived, it's establishing something. That, that Jacob knew this, his fathers lived in the presence of God. They lived with God. They lived in front of God. They lived their lives in God's view. They lived their lives in the presence of God's face. His face was on them. The God who has been my own shepherd all my life long to the day, to this day. It's an amazing statement. He has been the shepherd. He takes personal care. Jacob's recognizing that God has been his shepherd, a good shepherd who's cared for him in all times past, even during his times of trouble, and is taking care of him and still taking care of him up to this minute. And Jacob is about to die. He's running out of breath. He's, his vision has failed him. And yet he has power enough to say, God has been my shepherd. He's taken care of me all the time. What a testimony. And then this can be confusing, the angel who's rescued me. But in the Hebrew, in that era, there was this phrase, the angel of the Lord that was used specifically to describe not a regular angel, but an appearance of God with physicality in human form, where he was, he was glorious so much so that he was viewed to be like an angel, and he was looking like a man, but he was clearly the Lord. And this happens over and over again, and where it says here, he rescued me, in, in the Hebrew, it says, he was my kinsman redeemer who rescued me. And who is the kinsman redeemer for all of Israel? Yeshua. God himself come down in bodily form. So this is how it's to be understood. This angel is not 
an angel as the angel of the Lord. The very one who appeared to Jacob, the very one who wrestled with Jacob as well. And then Jacob, Israel, continues. And he says, bless these boys. God, the God who my fathers lived their lives in front of, the God who has been my personal shepherd, the God who appeared to me and who has rescued me from all harm and evil. Bless these boys. Bless these boys, Lord. With authority, he invokes the blessings of God. And then he says, may they remember who I am and what I stand for. What a great statement. Every parent should feel that way towards their children. May they remember who I am and what I stand for. If you don't stand for anything distinctive, you don't have the full blessing to convey to your children. But when you stand for God and you stand for faithfulness, and for good, and for mercy, for truth, for, for justice, for compassion. When you stand for, for God in that way, you know what? People will remember you. Your family will remember you. We're still remembering Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? At this very moment, that's what we're doing. Are they of blessed memory? You bet they are. May they remember who I am and what I stand for. And likewise, my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, who they were and what they stood for. And may they grow into teeming multitudes on the earth. And the Hebrew is really funny because where it's talking about teeming multitudes, it uses the language of bugs and insects. May they swarm like insects. That's the promise that God gave Israel. (laughs) Pharaoh said, man, they're swarming. We gotta step on them and crush them. So I I love this part about the shepherd. God being a shepherd to Jacob. Because Jacob, in proclaiming the shepherd, God Almighty who appeared to him, who was the angel of the Lord, he's really proclaiming Yeshua in this way. So it's an early proclamation of God who appears, he shows his face, he's present with us, he's a shepherd, he delivers us from evil. And with that in mind, let's let's remember one of the best known scriptures that speaks about God as shepherd. We even sang uh, a, a nice song about this tonight. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is one of the best known 
and even the most beloved of all the scriptures. And how many of you heard this as a kid and sort of embedded in your memory? You can almost repeat it verbatim, maybe with some these and thous thrown in for beauty's sake. This passage speaks about God as a shepherd and us having no lack and him being with us even as we approach death. But it ends with something really interesting. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Because the blessings of God will pursue you. That's one part. The other part is they will be left in your wake, if you will, in your path. Wherever you go, there should be blessings and goodness that follows you that other people recognize and say, you know what, because she was here, there's blessing. Because he was here, we're blessed. When you go to visit sick people, your blessing could be a comfort. When you go to visit people in the hospital, your blessing could be by praying for healing or for a clear diagnosis. There are many ways that you can leave a blessing, but what's important is that when you are serving the Lord, you will leave a blessing if you've been experiencing the blessings of God. The second statement at the very end, verse six, is also important. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This makes it really clear to us that David valued being in the house of the Lord now. But he also valued being in the house of the Lord later, forever. And that helps us understand the high priority that God places on the house of the Lord. God is looking for people who will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many of you can agree with this? And so he's looking for people who want to be in the house of the Lord now. If you don't like being in the house of the Lord now, you're going to hate it forever. But if you like being in the house of the Lord now, you're going to get ready and be excited about the house of the Lord forever. So the house of the Lord is important. This this gathering of humans, of living stones, of human beings filled with the Holy Spirit who are transformed from being dead stones, lifeless stones, inanimate in an eternal sense, into living stones who can be built together into the house of God, who individually are a little sanctuary for God, but corporately become the house of God where God can dwell. This is so important. And even though these are familiar words, it's useful to us to take notice of the high priority that David places on the house of God. He's looking for the house of God. He wants to live for God now, and he wants to live for God forever. And he said elsewhere, I I would be glad to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I'd be glad to be in the greeter's ministry, the host ministry. Doesn't that encourage you, Claude? King David said, if I could just open the door 
for people to come in to the house of God, it'd be worth everything. Yeshua's message at Hanukkah just fits into this so perfectly from John chapter 10. Verse 14, Yeshua said, I am the good shepherd. He said, he's the good shepherd. So David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Jacob is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And Yeshua is coming and saying, I am the good shepherd. How can he say that? Because Adonai came down from heaven and dwelt among us. He took on human body, human form, in order to become the kinsman redeemer, so that he would be kinsman, and so that he could be the redeemer as well, and so that his sacrifice would be more than adequate for all of us. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. We get a little musical interlude, you know. Y'all can dance if you want. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do you see that mutuality? I know them and my sheep know me. There may be people who feel like they didn't measure up with God, that they didn't quite meet his high and holy standards. And the Lord will say to some of them, thank you because you visited me when I was in prison. You brought me water when I was thirsty. And they'll say, we, we don't remember doing that. And he said, well, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You remember that? But what's interesting is Yeshua says, my sheep know me. So Yeshua is not saying that the people who didn't know him, who did nice things, are his sheep. He's saying, I know them and they know me. Now God can save anybody he wants on his own terms, but what he tells us are his terms are this. There is a humility that's called of us that we would humble ourselves and repent and turn to him, that we would turn from our wicked ways and we would seek his face. And we would walk faithfully with him, that we would live repentant lives, that we would be faithful and obedient to him, that we would take the things that are important to him and make them important to us. And when we do that, we're his sheep. We're following after him. We may feel like we don't measure up. Have you ever had that feeling? Have you ever felt like you let the Lord down? I know I've had that feeling. It's not unusual, but the Lord is merciful and, and he doesn't just cast us out because of our insufficiency. He wants our insufficiency to reveal our dependence on him and our ongoing need for his forgiveness and his mercy. Let's continue, same chapter, John 10, verses 27 through 29. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. In, in Hebrew, when you're talking about listening, you don't just mean they hear the sound of the voice, you mean they put it into practice. 
They listen to the voice and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then this last statement, which is so radical, but so, so clear. I and the Father are echad. We are one. The Son of God is God. <laughs> who is different in form from God Almighty, ever-present, omnipresent. He's different in form only in this way. He's taken on a human body and restrained himself. He has made what, what um, Jewish sages call tzimtzum, a contraction, so that he can come into our little world. He's made himself small. When, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, he's doing the same thing. He is contracting, if you will, fully God, but, but like, it's hard to describe. That's why the Hebrew word tzimtzum is so good, because you don't have to define it. But it's, it, it enables, it's, it's God's supernatural ability to retain his pure godliness and all of his nature while he enters into the time-space universe that he created that is not him, but was created by him and is material, but is not him. And he can enter into you in the same way, the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, God Almighty in a human form, this is all part of God's tzimtzum uh, action that made room for a material universe because prior to that, the only thing that existed was God. The only thing that existed was God. And he, this is, this is the way our sages explain it. He made tzimtzum so that there was room for materiality. And there was ultimately room for humanity, including the free will of humanity. He limited his expression while retaining his fullness. And so he was fully God when he was doing this. But the son inside of a human body always consulted the father without a human body. God talking to God. God in one place talking to God in all places. In order not to be limited by the false ideas that human beings get through their senses. Have you ever felt bad for no good reason? Have you ever lost hope simply because of news about something? Well, have, have you ever gotten sick physically and then it affected you emotionally? How many can identify with that? Have you ever gotten a splinter and you can't think about anything else? You stub your toe, right? You want to throw up. 
All of these physical reactions can cause us to focus on those senses. And they could say, all is lost. This is never going to get better. I remember when I broke my leg. I was 10 years old. I went to the, uh, to the hospital and the orthopedist came in. And he said, I, I've got to touch your leg. You know what I said? Don't do it. And you know what he did? He ignored me. And then he, then he looked at me and he just said, this is going to hurt. <laughs> and it did. But he did what he had to do to fix things, to set things right. And I can tell you there are times when if you forget that your human body and all of your humanity which God has given to you can't be relied upon. You have to rely upon the spiritual information God is giving to you. The things he's speaking to you from the scriptures, the things he's confirming by the Holy Spirit, you have to depend on those even though they seem more vaporous and intangible than the tangible things you're going through. In the same way, the son suffering in a human body consults the father always. That's why he says, I only say what I hear the father saying. I only do what I see the father doing. God in human body consulting God not in a human body in order to verify, in order to authenticate the right responses and the right understanding. And God, thus, Yeshua gives us the model of the life that we're to live. It's in constant consultation with God, depending on him. Not always trusting the input we get from our human senses. Verifying, authenticating. And for this reason, the Father and the Son are one. Even though the Son took on a human body and the Father didn't. But how many gods? One God. In how many places? As many places as he wants to be. That's our God. And so as we're thinking about what Jacob was saying in his last days and his proclamation of God to his sons, what we see is in the text are these radical words and ideas that prepare us for the further revelation of God when he comes down as Yeshua so that we could recognize him and we would accept no substitutes. And for that reason, I would tell you, we don't accept oral Torah as Torah because it does not bear witness of Yeshua. Not only that, it doesn't bear witness of many of the things the Torah says. We don't accept Talmud as the authentic, inspired word of God. And neither do we accept all those who have built their theology by rejecting the Torah, the prophets and the writings, and they try to pick up the New Testament as if it has no foundation in the Torah. 
And so we say, that also is an error. And those who would try to supplement with other sources and traditions that go against and violate in some cases, or substitute for what the Torah speaks of. And for this reason, I would encourage you to spend the best of your time studying the scriptures. And if you have time left over to study other things that are worthy, that's okay. But do not neglect the studying of the scriptures in order to study the other things. In the Messianic movement, sometimes people are drawn to other sources. And I would say, come back. They will not give you eternal life. They may even mislead you. You may find out, as some are shocked to find out, that Maimonides lived as a Muslim before he became the great sage. And that his theology, his understanding of God, was well informed by Islamic theology. And thus, this is what I call the dirty secret of rabbinic Judaism, is, is the Islamic presence in the theology. And it's got to be purged. Don't accept Kabbalah and Zohar and, and these other things as if they're the word of God. They're not. And don't accept some of the teachings of the, of the uh, church fathers that went against the scriptures and even go against the New Testament. We have the scriptures to give us stability and to give us clarity. Accept no substitutes. That wasn't in my notes at all. I'm giving that to you just because it's free tonight and I felt you were ready to hear it. So I want to close. I just want to pray for you because I believe God wants you to be a greater blessing. I believe he wants to bless you more, not so that you can live an easy life, but so that you can have a greater impact with the good news of Messiah Yeshua everywhere you go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being so kind and faithful to us. Thank you for being steady like a rock. Thank you for being unchanging. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you that you've invited us to be in your family and to live in your house and to help become the house of the living God now and forevermore. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us so that we could strengthen other people. Chazak v'chazak v'nichazak. Be strong, be strong, and let us strengthen one another. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please stand up? If you're standing by yourself, I want to encourage you to move a little bit so that you're not alone. I'm always glad when, when Mike comes up to stand with me or Rabbi Yuri or my wife. or But I, I like standing next to you. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navei lecha v'yichonecha. Yisa Adonai p'navei lecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom, y'all.